the Word of God, chapter 10. It is part two of a two-part series related to this issue of the breaking down of walls between Jew and Gentile. And if you remember, God, through an angel, spoke to a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. He was responsible for 100 men in the Roman guard. And, uh, and he was a God-fearer. It meant that he was not a Jew, but he was as close as you could get to a Jew. Uh, he was a worshiper. He participated in all the feasts and festivals. He prayed three times a day. I mean, this man was really a seeker of God Almighty. And in the midst of one of his times of prayer, an angel came to him and gave him this vision that he was to send for a man in Joppa, which was about a day's journey away. And he was to send for this man and bring him to hear some message that, that wasn't revealed. And that man was Peter. And, uh, and simultaneously, Peter was being uh, given a vision by God of this sheet being lowered from heaven with these clean and unclean animals. And it happened three times. And each time, Peter was like, no, Lord. And we talked about what a, an anomaly that is. It's a, it's a contradiction to say, no, Lord, in the same sentence. But he said it three times. And yet, and Peter had no idea what, what the message was for. And now these men sent by Cornelius arrive at Peter's house and says, we're looking for this man named Simon Peter. And Peter comes down and meets these men and they finally confer and, and decide that God is up to something. It's this major divine appointment. It's exciting. It's a wonder as we look at this, and I'm praying as we go through this text this morning that more is going to happen than simply the transmission of information about what happened to these two guys. But I want to inspire you and encourage you and exhort you that what we're seeing in this text of this divine appointment can be a commonplace in our life if we're available and willing. And I'll share it through the message as well, but I want to focus my comments on the text by saying that uh, for probably the first 10 or so years of my Christian life and about five or six of those being a pastor, um, I really didn't understand divine appointments. I just had my schedule. I'm a very planned and organized person and so I'd plan the day out and then I'd just kind of hammer through the day, have my quiet time in the morning and then just hammer through the day and at the end of the day, thank God for what happened. And, um, and over the years, I found that my, my Christian life, in all honesty, became kind of boring. I was doing all the right things. I was... I was training myself to grow spiritually. I was in the word. I was being obedient. I was pastoring uh, as an associate pastor a, a church in New York. And all these things were happening, but there was this kind of this kind of longing for more, uh, more excitement, more of an adventure in the Christian life. And I, and I feel like along the way, I kind of lost that. And, and so much of it has to do with what I'm going to teach you today, the transition from being somebody that's just kind of doing all the right things and kind of ho-humming your way through the Christian life and kind of wondering why it's not as exciting as you think it's supposed to be, to an experience that is an adventure, an experience where every day you never know what's going to happen, but you know it's going to be good because you know God is at work and he's going to show up and, and that he's going to orchestrate our lives in such a way that we have meetings and contacts and encounters with people that are unplanned and yet God is at the very center of those if we're willing to acknowledge it. And once we begin to acknowledge those divine appointments and, and walk in them, all of a sudden life just explodes. It's like it's not about getting through your agenda anymore. It's about, God, where is the next divine appointment? You almost get hooked. I'm a, I'm, I have to tell you, I'm hooked on divine appointments. I don't create them. I just make myself available and say, Lord, you remember I talked last week about being on the bench. It's like, you know, the coach walks by, he's looking for the next guy to put in the game. I don't want to be on the bench. I want to play. And so I'm like, coach, pick me. I'm not the most talented person. I'm not the most capable person. I'm not the most gifted person. But I like to play. I want to be in the game. 
And so I'm looking and open, and that's what I want to encourage you, to be looking, to be prayerful, to be open to these divine encounters that actually the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10, God prepared in advance for us to walk in, and they're around us all the time, but oftentimes we just haven't seen them because we've been focused on, well, our agenda, our life. Sometimes even as a pastor, even the church can take a person away from living the adventurous life that God has called us to. And so we find in this text that we're picking it up in, in the second part of verse 23, chapter 10, where Peter begins to make his journey towards Caesarea where Cornelius lives. And it says, the next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour. In three, at three in the afternoon, suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach the, to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, as I, uh, as I come to you and we come to you collectively, we're crying out and asking God, would you teach us, Lord, the abundant life? Would you teach us, God, 
your power to intervene and to create divine appointments and these wonderful works that the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that you've planned in advance, you've orchestrated them, you've brought the pieces together in such a way that, God, we're walking into eternity. We are walking into the miraculous every day if we're willing to see it. Father, I pray that you would use my heart and my mouth, Lord, uh, to communicate these simple truths in a way that's easy to understand and grasp and to apply. And we want to say thank you, Lord, because you are doing amazing things among us. Lord, it has nothing to do with us. In fact, if, uh, if history and the Bible uh, and the examples that we have there are any, uh, uh, any indicator, it's because we're the least. It's because we're not the brightest. It's because we're not that great that you've chosen to do such wonderful things because in that setting, your name can be best magnified. And so, Lord, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory because of your love and your faithfulness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God's plan has always been to reach people and to reconcile mankind to himself ever since the Garden of Eden, ever since the fall. One of the men that he chose early on was Abram. Out of all the nations, he chose this one man, and, and we're told in Deuteronomy why he was chosen. It was because he was the least. It was the smallest most miserable, tiniest little group of people. He was not even a believer in God. Uh, he was a, an idolater. And yet God selected this man out of all of the men on the face of the planet to bring glory to his name and to advance his purposes. That one man, Abram, was given a, a commission by God in, in the early uh, chapters of Genesis, chapter 12 and on, that he would be the father of a nation and that that nation would be a nation serving God and that that nation would reach the nations of the world with the blessing of God, ultimately with the message of the Messiah. Uh, that plan is summarized for us in Genesis 12. But instead of embracing this call uh, to reach the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ, the Jews became proud and arrogant and ethnocentric. And the result was this significant wall of uh, ethnocentricity, this barrier of, of, uh, of hostility that formed between Jew and Gentile. The Jews at that time made the same mistake that sometimes and oftentimes we make ourselves in thinking that there was something redeeming about us that caused God to choose us. And that there's something redeeming even about this church that God is doing all these incredible things in our midst and on this island. I don't understand it. But the mistake that they made was that they thought it might have something to do with them. And so they became proud and arrogant and, and separated themselves from other people saying that the other people were unclean and that they were clean because of God. When God's plan was to reach the entire planet with the gospel. And in chapter 10 of Acts, we have one of the most pivotal, one of the most remarkable events in church history. Because in this short chapter that, uh, that really occupies about a four-day time span, we have the breaking down of a wall that's been there for millennia. And God is going to just bring this wall crumbling down very simply through a series of divine appointments that we've already discussed last week and we're going to follow up on this morning. He's going to use a, a, a man named Cornelius, a Roman centurion, uh, a man who uh, under normal circumstances would have been a very hardened, uh, seasoned military man, a man that was used to using foul language, a man that was used to bossing people around, a man that usually uh, took great pleasure in his power over other people. But this man was not like that. He'd been transformed even though he was not yet a convert to Christianity. And then we have a man named Peter who also has a bit of a, of a sketchy past. 
He's constantly saying no to the Lord over and over and over. We find him, no, Lord, you're not going to go to the cross. No, Lord, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. You know, no, Lord, I'm not going to uh, kill and eat uh, from this, this, uh, this sheet of clean and unclean animals. And so he, he hasn't always gotten it right. But at this point, God is really working in Peter's heart. And, and what I want to say about these two men before we even get started is that these men were available. There's nothing particularly special about these men that, that caused God to select them. But God did select them. He didn't just say, oh, you'll do, or you'll do. No, he chose these men because there was a track record that they had. The main thing that we notice about both of these men is that they are in prayer. They're not just kind of shooting up a quick prayer on the way to, you know, to work while they're shoving a bagel in and drinking their coffee. You know, they're, they're setting time aside. They're seeking the Lord. Cornelius prayed three times a day. Peter prayed three times a day. They were, they were passionate to know God. These men had yielded their lives to him. They, though Cornelius had a job as a Roman centurion, his, his, his life goal was the glory of God. Though Peter was called to preach the gospel and to, and to spread that message, his primary goal was fellowship with the Lord God Almighty, being sensitive, being uh, uh, to the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit, finding out what God wanted them to do, finding out what pleased the Lord and then doing it. And so these men were marked by prayer, by availability, and by a willingness to have their agenda and even their understanding of theology interrupted by God, by these divine appointments. I believe that's why these men were chosen. And I want to give you right out of the gate here one of the things that's going to be critical and crucial if you want to begin living an adventurous, incredible, dynamic Christian life is that you have to have that same heart. God just doesn't, you just won't see it. He, he, just, he's not going to connect like he will with you if you're available, if you're a man or woman of prayer. Do you want to lead a boring, you know, ho-hum Christian life where you're just kind of slogging through it and just thinking, well, I guess I'm hanging on for eternity because this life ain't that great? Or do you want to live an adventure? Do you want to wake up in the morning and, and feel like it's Christmas? You, you know you're getting something and you know it's going to be good, but you have no clue what it is. You know, you're trying to peek and everything, but you still can't figure it out because God is sovereign. I tell you, I would never in a million years go back to the life I had in the first 10 years of my Christian life. I loved God at that time, but I would never in a million years want to go back and miss out on the adventure that life is when we step into this dynamic life of serving the Lord and being available. And so these men had made that choice, and we too must make that choice if you want to experience this kind of dynamic exciting Christian experience. And again, one thing I want to emphasize, it's not about experiencing the dynamic. It's simply being available to God and God making your life dynamic and, and fulfilling what he promised is that it would be an abundant life, a full life, a, a, a life full of purpose and meaning and significance. So we're not aiming at like, uh, you know, adrenaline rushes of divine appointments. We're aiming at God. We're aiming at his glory. But I'm telling you, when you, when you do that, the adrenaline rush comes. And the, and the wonder and the excitement of partnering with God is there because God loves to share his glory with us. We don't want to take it, but he generously lets it spill out on us and it changes the Christian life forever. So we find that Peter, one of the things that we, we notice in verse 23 is that Peter started out right away the next morning with these guys that came. And I love this. You know, Peter, you notice he didn't uh, sit down and say, well, wait a second, you guys are Gentiles. I'm not supposed to be with Gentiles. This isn't going to look good. I need to explain this. I need to, have, I need to get our elders together here in the church, and I need to meet with the, with the guys in Jerusalem. We have to have a powwow because I just don't know about this. I don't want to, I'm not going to make this decision and have all this egg on my face for this decision. No, he didn't do that. God had spoken, and he immediately responded. 
I, I like what it says in uh, Psalm 119.60. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. And I want to ask you, is this the mark of your life? When God speaks to you, whether it's through the word or through his spirit or through your conscience or through a friend, and he makes it clear, hey, this isn't the right thing or you're going the wrong way or you need to take care of this, is the response, uh, I'm going to have a little meeting with myself about this. It might take a few months, you know. My mind is very complicated. I'm not sure it's going to, you know, and we go through this whole thing about trying to obscure the very simple, clear commands of Scripture. Well, I'm telling you, if we choose to do that, you can, and you can, you can step into a boring Christian life of just slogging through it because you're missing out on the wonder of partnering with God. That's the beauty of the Christian life. And so Peter, he doesn't want to do that. He steps in immediately and says the Lord spoke to him. He doesn't even completely understand the message. He doesn't know how all the pieces fit together, but God has told him something, and it has to do with the clean and the unclean, and now these unclean, so-called unclean Gentiles come and tell him that, that God has spoken to this other Gentile man and that he's supposed to come. So Peter doesn't have any idea what's going on completely, but he knows God is doing something, and so he says, I'm willing to go. So the following day, they leave for this trip. Now, we find Cornelius in chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 24, his eager response, he's expecting Peter. Now, it takes about two days to make the trip back and forth, and so four days, a total round trip. On the fourth day, at the very hour that Cornelius received the message, Cornelius is waiting in his house for Peter, this man he's never met before, and he's waiting for his loyal servants to come back, and he's also filled his house with his friends and guests and relatives and neighbors, and they're all waiting. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I don't even go to the airport without calling to see if the flight is on time, you know, because you know you, how it is, round and round you go, and I don't like doing that, so I always call. Cornelius is so confident, number one, in the loyalty and faithfulness of his servants that they'll get the job done, that he is already thrown the party and he's got everybody waiting in his house for these guys to get back. The other thing I think Cornelius has a, a great faith in is God because the Bible tells us in, in Leviticus that God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should repent. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? And it's a rhetorical question. God is always faithful. Well, God told Cornelius to send for Peter, trusting and believing that God would begin something and finish it. Just like the Bible says in Philippians that when God begins a good work in us, we can have absolute confidence that he's going to follow through. What does that mean? We can be like Cornelius and we can already throw the party. We're going to get better. Well, God is going to change us. God is going to restore us. God is going to redeem us if we're on his page. So we can take like a promise in Philippians and say, Lord, I... I thank you in advance that the work that you've started, you're going to finish in my life. Because Cornelius was a man that, that heard God's word and then believed it and acted on it. And so Peter comes into the house and immediately Cornelius falls at his feet because he's just so blown away. He's not quite sure how to respond. Now this is a man who is used to having other people bow at his feet. He, this isn't a guy that bows at anybody's feet except, the, uh, uh, except Caesar. And yet he is bowing before a, a Jewish fisherman. And on his face, the word in Greek is proskuneo. It means to prostrate yourself in homage or worship. And Peter right away says, you know, uh, get up. You know, I'm, you're making me uncomfortable. Don't do that. I'm a man. I'm not any different than you. Which, by the way, is um, 
It's an interesting statement considering that the Catholic Church believes that, that Peter was the first pope. Because now the popes, you kiss their ring, everybody bows and genuflects and all that, but the very first pope, if he was the pope, which he, he wasn't, but if the Bible certainly doesn't indicate that. Uh, I'm not trying to offend anybody here, but the Bible doesn't teach that, that Peter was a pope. But even if he was, we already have the model from Peter that I'm just a man. I'm just a man. Don't bow before me. Don't proscuneo or, uh, or prostrate yourself before me. And so Peter goes inside and he sees this large crowd. And again, do you remember, Peter has no idea what's going on. He doesn't even know why he's there. But he's obeyed the Lord so far in this divine appointment. And so Peter... Um, as, uh, as he goes in, he reviews this wall of division between the Jew and the Gentile, and he referenced the fact that Jewish law forbid him from coming into their house or having association with, uh, with these Gentiles. And yet, uh, the interesting thing is the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never says that Gentiles are unclean. It never says that Jews are not to relate or associate with Gentiles. That was a teaching of the rabbis that came much later, certainly isn't a part of scripture, but they said there are certain foods in Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy that are unclean and certain ones that are clean. And, but, the, but the Jewish uh, rabbis took it farther and said, not only are certain foods unclean, but certain people are unclean. And you see the barrier going up, the wall of hostility between ethnic groups and nations, because they took it too far. They took it beyond what God had even said in his word. And God actually says in Mark 7 that these people worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. And he goes on to say, you've let go of the commands of God. He's talking to the religious leaders at that time. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And so Peter reviews this, this wall of hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. And he says basically that God is countermanding that uh, today. God has shown him not to call any man impure or unclean. And he says, I came because of that without raising any objection. And now he says something interesting. He says, could you guys tell me why I'm here? I love that. You know, years ago, uh, before God started kind of taking me in this direction of just obeying his word and realizing how wonderful it is to not only be filled with the spirit, but to, uh, but to live by the spirit, to walk in the spirit and to keep in step with the Spirit. That means like, you know, every step along the way, being aware of what, what the Holy Spirit is doing. Before all that happened, I, I wouldn't have gone to a meeting like this. I would have said, uh, can you tell me what this meeting is about? And, uh, and if they didn't want to tell me, I'd say, well, I, I'm probably not interested in coming. I, I, I'd like to have some awareness of what I'm going into. Uh, and can you tell me when this meeting is scheduled? And can you tell me who will be there? And all those, can't you kind of relate to that a little bit? You don't want to go into a meeting and have no clue and be unprepared. But, but God... He doesn't follow my rules and he doesn't really care much for my rules or my concerns about those things. He says, I have something for you to do. Do you want to live? Do you want to get off the bench? Do you want to play ball? And I'm like, yeah, I want to be in. And so Peter goes on this adventure with God and he doesn't even know why he's meeting them and he has to ask them, these Gentiles, can you tell me why I'm here? I have to share with you that uh, one of my favorite things to do during the day is just to, is to experience these divine appointments. I love my quiet time in the morning because it, it, uh, it helps me to be on page with God. It refreshes my mind. It gives me the mind of Christ and helps me prepare myself and helps me to be able to be changed and transformed by God to get the heart of God. But after that, one of my favorite things throughout the day is to simply experience these divine appointments. 
and I've shared this with you before, but I'm going to share again, is that for the first five or six or eight years of my Christian life, I really just kind of went through the day thinking I, I needed to kind of uh, produce for God, that I had to just work hard and, and serve hard and, and uh, be the go-to guy at church, and so that's what I was. And, uh, and I never really had time to stop and talk with people that much because I was so overloaded. I had like 90-hour, 100-hour work weeks in ministry. And so I just didn't have time. If, some, if I ran into you somewhere, I'd be like, uh, um, gotta go, <laughs> gotta serve the Lord, you know? Not realizing that all these encounters I was having were set up by God. But I had an agenda and I didn't have time for that. And the result was I began to lead kind of a, a boring, a monotonous Christian life. And I began to get a little bit kind of worn out. Anybody ever been worn out in ministry? Serving the Lord, it's like, I'm just so tired of doing this same thing over and over and over and helping here and helping there. Nobody says anything. And it's just like, the only time I hear anything is when somebody's grumbling or whatever. Anybody feel like that sometimes? Okay, some of you do. Probably all of you do. Um, so we, we know what that's like, but all of a sudden, I began to realize that God was setting up these appointments. And I began, I just made a, a mental decision based on Ephesians 2.10 that says God has appointed and, and prepared good works in advance before the creation of the world for me to walk in. That means that God has actually got a plan and things that he wants me to participate in that he has been uh, working for millennia. This is the crazy part. Millennia, thousands of years bringing the strands of all this information and these lives together so that at one time, at one particular point in human history, I'm at Walmart or I'm at the beach or I'm driving in my car or I'm somewhere and someone else has had their life divinely orchestrated in such a way that they're at the same place that I'm at and we have a meeting. It wasn't planned. I don't even know why they're there. Before it used to be, oh, you know, wow, fancy to see you. You know, it's, isn't it amazing? We live on Kauai, it's such a small place and I haven't seen you in four years. How are you doing? How are the kids? How's the family? How's the business? And then, bye-bye. That's the way it used to be, not anymore. I'll do all that now. I'll still, how, how's the wife? How's the family? How's the kids? How's the business? And then I'm saying, the next thing out of my mouth is, okay, so why are we really here? <laughs> and sometimes they'll say, what do you mean? And I'll say, well, you know, I believe in divine appointments. I believe that my life is a miracle. I believe everywhere I go, like any Christian, every Christian can and, and should be experienced, everywhere I go, is a divine encounter. Every meeting is orchestrated by God. Nothing's by chance. So I choose to live that way. So, so why, are, why, why did God send us together? How can I minister to you? How can I bless you? Is there anything I can pray for you for? Is there anything going on in your life? And then suddenly, right in the, in the aisles at Walmart or on the beach or whatever, the story comes out. I've been struggling. I'm discouraged. I've, I've, my, my wife left me. I, I'm having problems with my kids. I don't know where to turn. And, and right there, wherever we are, we just cry out to God. And at the end of it, it's like, wow, I got to carry the ball just for a little bit. I got to be a part of God's plan. And by virtue of being a part of the plan, that's the most exciting life I've ever experienced in my life, is to be partnering with God in some way. And, and, but I have to tell you, most of the time when I come to these encounters, it's the same line as Peter. It's like, okay, so why, why am I here? Why, why, did, you, why did God send me to, to you right now? And, and we have these divine encounters and they're just, they're just I, I can't tell you how excited I am about them because you know what? I'm in one right now. I'm in, you're, and you're in one right now. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, so why did God send you here today? You know, and why were you in this text today? Some of you are, are visiting this church once and you'll never come back again. You know, <laughs> I hope you come back. 
But some of you are visiting from the main, and you may never come. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, so why on this day? Why this message? Why now? Why here? What's God doing? And so Peter asks, why? You won't always know. And if you have to know before you get in, you won't play the game. So you have to be willing to not even know. You have to be willing to be foolish. You have to be willing to tell people, okay, so I don't know what I'm doing, but my eyes are on God. Can you help me know why I'm here? Is there something I can do? Is there some way I can love you? Is there some way I can minister to you? Can I hold your arms up in some way? And suddenly you enter into these divine appointments. Well, it says that Peter uh, realized that God doesn't show favoritism. Now, just before this, after Peter asked the question, you know, why am I here? Cornelius basically tells him about the vision and all these things that happened to him on his side of the divine appointment. And then he basically says to Peter something that's incredible. He says, well, I, I, I immediately sent for you and he expressed his hunger for God. He said, we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I mean, are you talking about an open door or what? This is like, a, uh, this is like a, an evangelist's dream come true where the person says, you know, can you tell me more about this? This happened on Friday, by the way. Bobby Schutz runs our skate ministry, and he was telling me last night that one of the kids, they had a number of kids come to Christ uh, on Friday night at the skate ministry from the neighborhood, Kapaa. And, um, and one of the boys toward the end of the study said, um, I have a question, Uncle Bobby. How can I go to heaven? Right there in the study. Yeah. And then he said, uh, is there something I need to do or say for God to accept me? That was his follow-up question. And so right there, you know, just this innocent and this, this heart, and I see that same heart in Cornelius, and he just says, we're here. We don't know what you have to say, but there's something important that God wants us to know. Cornelius was in the dark too. So you have two men, lovers of God, prayerful, yielded, surrendered, available, willing, and they're both in the dark. They don't know the whole thing. Cornelius doesn't know why he sent for Peter and what the message is. And Cornelius doesn't know what he's supposed to say or why he's even supposed to be there. But both men, immediate obedience. And the result is what comes next. Peter says that, I realize that God doesn't show favoritism. It, it, in the, in the uh, Greek, it, it's the concept of he comprehended. Uh, it all of a sudden dawned on him. He finally understood. Those are ways that we could express it. It finally, it came to him that the sheep coming down was the message that God was trying to deliver about these Gentiles. It wasn't about food. It wasn't about animals. It was about men and women. And so we find that uh, Peter says, I understand now that God accepts men from every nation, not just Israel, who fear him and do what is right. And so Peter begins to testify and begins to share the gospel. I'm going to go through this very briefly. There are nine things that I picked out of the scripture here that, that Peter relates to this gathering of Gentiles who are so hungry for the word. He, he begins with how it began with the baptism of John the Baptist and Jesus being baptized and his ministry beginning at that point. How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. How Jesus went around doing good and healing all those who were under the power of the devil. That was one of the reasons in 1 John 3, 8 that Jesus came, by the way, was to destroy the works of the devil. How the, uh, how the, uh, the Romans and the Jews killed uh, Jesus by hanging him on a tree. A very important component of the gospel here, by the way, is, is the death of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind. But he follows up on it with another critical uh, component of the gospel. 
that God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, overpowering sin and death simultaneously. And sixthly, how God caused him to be seen by a selected group of witnesses who were chosen in advance. The divine appointment aspect of this is coming in again. All 12 apostles saw Jesus, and it also tells us that uh, at one time, 500 people actually uh, were able to see the resurrected Christ at a single time in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 5 through 6. And how God had actually commanded those that had seen him to go out and preach and teach and instruct people Uh, Very interestingly, not only the gospel, but listen to this carefully, that Jesus is appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. This is the heavy part of the gospel. You know, sometimes when people give the gospel, it's like, you know, you need God. Well, why do I need God? Well, because uh, the the person says, I got a house, I got a car, I got a great family, I love life, I surf, I enjoy sports. I mean, I don't know how it could get any better. And we're scratching our head and think, well, how could it get better? Um, In time of need, you can call out to somebody. Oh, well, okay, that's that's good. Uh, um, You know, uh, God will bless your work and your ministry, or not your ministry, but your work and whatever you do in your job. Uh, Well, I feel pretty blessed already, but I guess I could use a couple more blessings. I wouldn't mind that. So in essence, we're teaching them kind of God in the back pocket, you know, the the guy that will, uh, you know, kind of uh, supercharge your your life. It'll it'll give it a boost beyond where you are. But Peter says something very powerful here, here. He says, that if a man or woman doesn't accept Christ, it's so much more than supercharging your life. It's that Jesus has been appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. Those that don't receive Christ will face Jesus Christ at a place called the great white throne judgment. And that judgment will simply be this. Did you receive the gift of life and the death of Jesus on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and for new life? And if the person says, well, you know, I had a couple friends tell me about that and all, and I just didn't, you know, I just wasn't, I just, I I couldn't come to grips with the fact that Jesus was the only way. I've got so many Hindu and Buddhist friends, and, you know, I got all these different people that have different beliefs, and for me to actually do that, I would have just really offended a lot of people, but I think they're all going to the same place, and and Jesus is going to say, I never knew you, and he will cast them out of his presence for eternity in a place of suffering and torment forever and ever and ever. God doesn't want that. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But that's the message that that Peter is giving. He's laying it out and saying, it's life and death here. This isn't just about, you know, supercharging your life or, or having a genie in your back pocket. This is about God Almighty saying, this is the choice you're making. Now, for those that receive Christ and are judged, the living and the dead, those that receive Christ are also gonna face a seat of judgment. But it's not the great white throne. It's the Bema seat judgment. This is nothing like the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment is the pronouncement of guilt on an unbeliever for their rejection of God's gift. The Bema seat judgment, and it's gonna be glorious, is that that's the judgment where where you're gonna be standing on the podium and God is gonna give you your crowns and rewards and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And everything that you've done, every good hearted act, anything that you've done for his namesake, for his glory, for his pleasure, your obedience in the private areas, in the public areas, in, in times when no one sees or no one applauds you, all those things are gonna be acknowledged by God the Father at the Bema seat judgment of Christ and you will be rewarded. There will be no condemnation. There is no big screen in heaven for believers to shame and embarrass them for their failings and their faults. It's only reward. And so Peter lays out such an important part of the gospel that sometimes we've left out. We leave out that God will judge. And it's not just about whether your life is is incrementally better. This is about God Almighty 
giving you a very clear choice. And so Peter lays out that choice that they were commanded to teach and preach not only the forgiveness of God, but also the judgment of God through Jesus Christ. And so in essence, Jesus Christ stands at the end of every path a woman or man can take in life and he waits there, ordained by God, to judge by either condemning or by rewarding. Doesn't matter what path a man or woman take, they're going to be judged, but it's either reward or condemnation. The eighth thing that he says about the gospel is he says how all the prophets testify about him. In other words, this didn't just happen. This wasn't some newfangled teaching, but this goes all the way back to Genesis and every prophet in the Bible speaks of this glorious message of, of, his, of the coming of Jesus Christ and how everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That there's no difference, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, Jew or Gentile. Okay, so let me share something with you, my belief. We're not told this directly, but I just know these guys. He was just warming up. This was his introductory paragraph. He, this took, I read this in just like, you know, his little section was about two minutes. So in the span of about two and a half minutes, maybe five at the most, Peter has laid out his introductory statements about the gospel and something remarkable happens. It says that while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message and they began to speak in tongues. And I wanna, I wanna talk about this just for a minute because the circumcised believers in verse 45 and 46, they were astonished. It means that they were beside themselves. They were amazed. In our vernacular, it would be we're completely blown away. We can't believe this has actually happened. That these guys have been filled with the Holy Spirit, which is what the the uh, Jewish believers experienced on the day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2, and that they heard them speaking in tongues. Now, I want to share something about tongues just briefly. I've taught on this extensively in the past. I'm not going to do that now. But I want to say, lest someone extrapolate from this text that speaking in tongues is the sign of, of uh, the new life, I want to correct that because that's not what this passage teaches. Because later, uh, when Peter's talking about this, he actually says, um, let's see, where is it in my, in my verses here? He says, when the Holy Spirit came on him, he's, he's explaining this in the passage we're going to cover next week. He said, God gave them the same gift he gave us. And who was I to tell Jesus that he couldn't do this and to stand opposed to the work of God? So the reason that these Gentile believers spoke in tongues collectively, and the Bible does teach that, and I'm, I'm a firm believer in the, in the current uh, operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible clearly says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 that not everyone speaks in tongues. So why is everyone here speaking in tongues? Because this, this was the hinge of history between Jew and Gentile. This wall was crumbling down and God wanted these Jewish believers, including Peter, to recognize and to see a manifestation, a, a, a landmark experience that would indicate to them that these Gentiles were now a part of God's kingdom. And it could not be denied because the same experience that they had two years earlier on the day of Pentecost was now being experienced by the Gentiles. And so these, the wall just like, I, I'm just envisioning it in my mind, just these bricks are just, you know, falling this way and falling that way as this whole divine appointment unfolds. And it's just like, just get out of the way, you know, because God is doing something in this text. And so they heard them speaking in tongues and, uh, and Peter's, he acknowledges their conversion at this point and says, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've already received the Holy Spirit, just as we did. 
The Bible tells us in Romans chapter eight that you cannot receive Christ without receiving the spirit of Christ. When a person is born again, they immediately receive the spirit of, of the Lord. Now, the filling and, and, uh, and ongoing filling that the Bible talks about is a daily experience. It says, keep on being filled on a daily basis with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians chapter five. And we need to be led by the Spirit. That's a daily experience. We need to keep in step. That's like, you know, we need to keep looking up and saying, God, am I on track? Am I, doing, am I with you? Uh, not are you with me. God, bless what I have. You know, I dream a dream and make it bigger. And God, come on, you know, help me with this. Make it happen. It's all for you. Well, kind of, kind of for me too. But, you know, no, it's not like that. It's like, God, I want to be in step with you. What are you doing? And how can I participate? And so when the Holy Spirit fell on this group of Gentiles, Peter's rhetorical question to the, to the fellow Jews was not, you know, guys, what do you think? You know, should we do it? Should we baptize them? You know, which is really a, an outward expression of an inward faith that they've already experienced. He's not uh, having a straw poll. He says, you know, can you guys just wait here for four days until our, two days until I go back to Jerusalem and find out what the brothers there say I should do? No, he just basically says, I, this is God. This is God all over the place. This is a divine appointment. We can't oppose God in this. He's giving us evidence that he's at work. And so Peter ordered that they be baptized right there on the spot. And so they were, they were baptized. These folks weren't saved because of baptism, but they were baptized because they were saved. And as a result, Cornelius and his household were so blown away that they, they said, would you guys please stay with us for a while? This is just too, this is too much. We need to know more. This is a remarkable experience. And I believe Peter with his Jewish brothers were like, we don't want to go either. God is in this place. Have you ever had times like that where God is doing something that's like, nobody move, you know? Don't do anything. We, wanna, we don't, we don't want to, it's not really that we can lose the work of God because he's always working, but you just have this sense of awe in the moment. I was talking with a brother this last week about a whole variety of things that what God was doing and we were both just rejoicing on the, on the property right out here, just rejoicing at what God was doing and it's like, it's just unbelievable, you know, it's just like, I, we're like just observing it all. It's, it's this momentum and this work is God's and as I watch it all unfold, I'm just blown away and I'm just like, it, it promotes praise and honor and glory for God which is exactly what God wants and deserves. So how does this all apply to us? Let me finish by sharing a few thoughts. We can walk away from this text and we can kind of think, oh, that was a nice little story about these guys, but how does that relate to me? Um, I imagine not too many of you were up late at night concerned about the barrier between Jew and Gentile. Oh, God, I don't like this. I know it's wrong and I'm struggling with it, but I just don't think that Jews are nice people or Gentiles are nice people. Most of us aren't really struggling with that barrier. Would you agree? We don't have that problem. Um, I don't even think we really have a, an ethnic problem here on the island. I, I grew up in Hawaii, and I am actually the most comfortable with like every color uh, of skin on the planet. I mean, that's where I'm actually most comfortable. I actually felt really awkward. I remember going into, into New York uh, when Becky and I were over there, and we walked into a mall in, in this area of this church we went in the first time, and, I, and Becky and I just walked along a little bit, and we're kind of looking back and forth. And it was during those days of big hair. You remember big hair? Um, the ladies would tease their hair up and it was really high. Uh, but that's not what, uh, what caught my attention the most, although that did catch my attention. I thought they got big hair. Uh, but what really caught my attention was that everybody was white and I felt like out of place. I was like, I, and there was a black guy uh, walking around. I went right over right away and met him because I, I said, there's some color in this place. Can we be friends? You know, I just feel, I feel out of place here, you know. 
Um, but we generally, as a rule of thumb, I know there's some ethnic barriers there, but that's not really our biggest problem, I don't think, on Kauai. Um, I think our, our biggest problems have to do with our relationship with God and the barriers there. The Bible says that one of the barriers that we have if we've not come to Christ is that we may not feel it, but God says that we're enemies of Christ. That if, we're not, if we haven't received Christ, if we're not on page with God, then there's this enormous wall between us and him, and he wants it removed. And if you're here today and you've never asked the simple question of how can I go to heaven, and is there something I need to do to get there, and you've never accepted Christ, then I want to encourage you to know and recognize there's an enormous wall. You may not have acknowledged it before, but God says there's this great wall between me and you, and it can be broken down only by Christ. Do you want the wall to come tumbling down today? For those of you that are believers, I think there's another wall, and that wall is unintentional. I don't believe any of us erect it intentionally, but it nonetheless has been built, and it's a wall of kind of carnal, uh, half-hearted uh, Christianity where we're not really immediately obedient, where we really don't pray that much, where it's really not about God, but God more about trying to get God to help us with our life so that we can be happy and content and, and comfortable. And that's a wall. It's a wall that's kept us from these divine appointments that God uh, has promised us and that make the Christian life so dynamic and exciting. And if you've erected that wall, I'd, I'd encourage you to let God bring it down today. And just confess it and say, God, I don't want that wall anymore. I don't want anything in the way of the dynamic life that we're looking at in this text of, of uh, Acts chapter 10. The last wall I want to talk about just briefly that may be in your life is a wall of broken relationship. My guess is that almost every person here has a broken relationship of some sort. There's a wall that's been erected. There's a, there's a pride. There's, a, there's an arrogance. There's a, a posturing of like, I'm not going to be the first person. I've tried. I've done that. And, uh, you know, we, we, we know we're not reconciled. We know things aren't right. The Bible says, as far as it depends on you, do everything that leads to peace. So we have an obligation before God to bring walls down. But it's very hard. It takes a lot of work. Sometimes you have to kind of go around a few times before you understand each other. But I believe that one of the very basic walls that we have might be in our marriages, might be with our kids, might be with a neighbor or someone in ministry, might be with a friend, might be parents, might be family members, extended family members, and there's a wall. And God's message in, throughout the gospel is bring the walls down. Why do we have walls in the first place? We have walls to protect ourselves. That's the whole purpose for a wall. The thing is, is that we think we're, we're protecting ourselves and God says you're imprisoning yourself. These walls that we erect keep us from the abundant, dynamic, spirit-filled, divine appointment-laden life. We think by erecting this wall that we're keeping something out, but what we're really doing is we're keeping ourselves in and away from God, from the fullness. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian or that God doesn't love you or that you aren't experiencing a love relationship with God, but there's this wall. It might only be two feet high or it might be 20 feet high, but that wall that we thought we were building to protect ourselves actually has become our prison to keep us from this abundant life. It keeps us on the bench. And so it may be that one of these walls describes your life, and if it does, I want to encourage you to do something about it. The thing I love about this passage, there's so many things, but one of the things I love about it is that while he was preaching, this group of people responded. They didn't say the sinner's prayer. 
Peter didn't get a chance to say every head bowed, every eye closed, and now... He didn't do any of that. It was like the people said, I believe that, I believe that. I mean, we weren't even talking to each other. They were just receiving it. And simultaneously, the Holy Spirit came before the altar call even happened. So you you don't need to do anything particularly special except respond to God. Is God doing something today? Is this a divine appointment or not? Is he speaking? Are you willing to listen? Will your obedience be immediate? Not next week, not next year, not, not talking yourself out of it and saying, oh, that wall isn't that high. I can step over that. I can jump over that. I can get a ladder. I can shoot myself out of a cannon, you know? <laughs> no. Will you do something about it today? That's the kind of man or woman that God uses. Second Chronicles 16.9. His eyes are ranging throughout the earth today, seeking to support those whose hearts are devoted to him. Do you want to play ball? Do you want to enter the life? Do you want to enjoy the, the excitement and the journey? Make yourself available. Be a person of prayer. Be willing to go where no man has gone before. You know, be willing to make friends with strangers. Be willing to acknowledge that these, these phone calls and these encounters are much more than coincidence. Be willing to let God use you. And most of all, be willing to bring glory to him. Father, we thank you for our time this morning and thank you for the, the kindness and the patience of these wonderful brothers and sisters who love you so much, God, and you love so deeply. Lord, we can't say enough about the journey we're on. It's exciting, it's dynamic, it's life-changing. It's not perfect because we still live in a, in a sin-torn world. But God, this is as good as it can possibly get. And the only thing that can make it better is a more yielded heart on our part. So here we are, Lord, this morning, saying, would you change us? Would you give us a heart to respond? We don't want any walls at all. We don't want walls between ourselves and you. We don't want walls between each other. We don't want walls between different people groups. God, we don't want any walls at all. So would you speak to us and let the walls come tumbling down that your glory might enter in and that we might be free of this wall that we've erected thinking it would protect us but has actually trapped us and imprisoned us and prevented us from experiencing the abundant life. God, forgive us and thank you in advance for doing so. And now help us to walk in joy and confidence and pleasure as we seek your glory and your praise with all of our life, all of our heart, all of our being. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.